Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everybody, welcome to that special midweek edition of the Forza Italian Football Podcast. It is me, your host Dov, stepping in midweek as I always do for the, the wonderful, beautiful Conor Clancy. And to help me talk about some uh, Champions League and Europa League action, I have got with me Podrag Whelan. Podrick, how are you? I'm very well, Dov. Uh, just calming down now after the excitement of it all. What a week. What a week. The best week ever. And Vieri Capretta's here as well. Um, we're not on video, but you get to hear his sultry Italian tones, Vieri. Ciao, everybody. It's been a, a great week. Very exciting, at least, for Italian clubs who, uh, well, everyone did something very unexpected from uh, Roma uh, <laughs> with the miracle to Lazio getting knocked out. So yeah, well, Another miracle. Is this the best week ever, Vieri, in Champions League, Europa League history? Well, it, it isn't just because Fiorentina aren't in it, but if not, it, it would be amongst the best. I mean, for those who don't particularly like Juventus, it is up there with the best. Well, that's certainly not us, because we love all the Italian teams, every single one of them. Um, right, Podrick, let's get back, let's look back on Tuesday, and obviously a lot of the, the dust has settled and, and everything since then. Um, how how on earth did this manage to happen? Because nobody expected this. 4-1 after the first leg, bit of a shambles. Uh, and then they just went and destroyed Barcelona. They did. Uh, I, I think the, the credit all has to pretty much go to Di Francesco because he decided, you know what, they had nothing to lose and he wasn't even going to wait till half-time and maybe hope they got one and see if they had 45 minutes left to stay in it. He just decided, nope, from the first minute, we'll go essentially almost five five forwards and, and we'll attack them. And, and it paid off. They, they got the early goal that I think they needed, the same way as Juve needed the following night. I think the two Italian teams both had to, to score early. 
that's exactly what Roma needed to put the, the doubt in Barcelona's head. And I think they, they just never looked right, I think, all night as well. Barcelona, I think there was there was almost a sense with them that they had to turn up and, and they'd get through. And even listening to the press conferences in Rome the night before, you you almost got that sense that there was a bit of complacency with them and and just credit to Roma. They absolutely pounced all over it. And I think if you are singling out players as well, I'd just give De Rossi probably a special mention as well because... He can, for the man who's wore the armband a lot, and even when Totti was there and wasn't playing, and he was kind of supposed to be the leader, but he just even now, like this season, I suppose the the red card at Genoa, he's still liable to do stupid things. I think that's just always part of his game. But that was really a night when he had to take lead the team and take the game by the scruff of the neck, and he did that. So hats off to him as well. He was he was fantastic. And Vieira, you tweeted um, during the game, you're saying, can Roma keep up this intensity? Because they pressed the Barcelona all over the park and did it for pretty much the entire game. How surprised were you that they could they actually had the, the physical ability to do that? I think it's unbelievable. And we got the, the same impression from Juventus the following night, but Juve then in the final 20 minutes dropped back. It's very difficult to maintain that level of high pressing and intensity at, in every single area of the pitch for that long, literally until the very, very end. And that's why, you know, if you look at the numbers, um, you know, Real Madrid had some chances against Juventus on Wednesday night. On Tuesday, Barcelona were totally, completely annihilated. They, had, they just had no chance whatsoever. And that's because Roma were, were perfect. Uh, in, uh, at the back, they were perfect going forward. And, but that intensity, I think, is what made a difference. And as, as uh, Podrick said, you know, you've got it from the start. And that was, you know, it's credit to, to, to Di Francesco for that. Because, you know, you could have also thought, wait a minute, we can sit back for the first half trying to get, you know, a goal and then push very hard in the second. They just went for it from the beginning to the very end and were able to, to maintain that level. And now, of course, they had five days to recover uh, for the derby on, uh, on Sunday. And that will be another test, obviously, because they, they want to try and replicate that level of football throughout, for the rest of the season. Yeah, well, I, I was interested, obviously, that, that tends to be in the pressing. But I think the way that they did the pressing as well was really good because they essentially the, the way that they kind of set up is they pressed the, the back line and made Ter Stegen just launch long balls towards Suarez and Messi, who were being marked by Manolas, Juan Jesus and Fazio. And Messi and Suarez are never winning uh, an aerial battle with, with those three guys. They're just, it's just not going to happen. And it was testament to, I think, Di Francesco for kind of using that as a game plan. But also, I think, the almost the incompetence of Valverde on the Barcelona bench to not react to it and not try and change anything. He made his first substitution on the 81st minute, uh, which was, what, two minutes before Roma got their eventual winner. And you, you would have thought that a coach at Barcelona would have seen the problems that his team had and to try and change it, and he never. And Roma were just able to keep going and keep plugging away and keep plugging away. And you got the sense at the stadium, which I was lucky enough to be at, um, name drop, um, that they were going to do it after De Rossi scored the penalty. Because Ter Stegen made a couple of fantastic saves um, before and then after. And you kind of thought, that they've got this. There's just something something magical in the air that... Uh, that was going to kind of bring everything towards Roma and it did and it was 
it was intense. It was, it was the probably the most intense evening of football I've ever seen. Uh, let me jump in here about Barcelona. I think when you're that level, you know, you've been the best club of the past 15 years, roughly. Uh, I think the manager doesn't count for that much because we've seen Barcelona change managers. Uh, and, you know, they've been at their very, very best under Guardiola, but they've won the treble under Luis Enrique. And, you know, they're winning La Liga under Valverde. It's almost like the players do it for themselves. And the other thing is, if you're so good, just ridiculously good as Barcelona are and have been and probably will be next season again, it's very difficult to adapt your style of play to the opponents. And I think we noticed that they needed something different on the night. And they just didn't know what to do to, to change it. The thing Whereas, is, they, they always look for Messi when they need some, something different. And, and on Tuesday, Messi wasn't able to get anywhere near the ball at all. And when he did get the ball, he was surrounded by Roma players. And I think he gave away the ball 10 times, like more than any, any other Barcelona player. Yeah, it wasn't his best night. Absolutely. No, and, and, but then the thing is, like, if Messi doesn't step up, you'd expect Suarez or Iniesta um, or someone else to do it. And they didn't do it because... Roma were so good. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. I think what we noticed as well is how Roma were, you know, perfect in their defending. And then, to be honest, going forward, they they weren't anything, you know, crazy. They just got those long balls and they played to their strengths and the weaknesses of Barcelona. Very, very simple. And I don't understand why Barcelona didn't even try to, to play their own style of football. Obviously, we just mentioned they needed something different, but they didn't even have their own style of football uh, of, like, um, keeping possession. It's almost like they didn't care. They were like, you know, we've got three goals advantage. Uh, they're never going to score three. And you can't have that attitude in, in the Champions League. Indeed you can't. And I was lucky enough to talk to journalist in Rome, Colin O'Brien, who's covered Roma for a long, long time, to see what he thought about the game. It was great in in isolation. But, you know, as I said to you in the text earlier, or, or I don't know, was it to you or someone else? Like, this is a team that, you know, got hammered in the previous two fixtures. Um, and the one before that then was a, you know, a pretty terrible draw with Bologna. I mean, it's a little bit of perspective, I think, will be helpful. Like, it's a second tier club, basically, is, you know, you have this, like, it's the kind of thing you'd expect from Lazio, where they're sitting, you know, ninth in the league, but they, you know, for one game, they get it up and they, they beat Roma, and then that's their season. You know, they think they're the masters of the universe, you know? <laughs> but, like, yeah, like, if Roma go on now, and if they, you know, if they beat Liverpool or whatever, okay, well, then you'd, you'd say they've had a good European campaign, but I mean, they're pretty underwhelming. Jekko is the only player on double figures in the league with goals. I mean, it's and he only has fourteen. So, so it's safe to say you're not impressed then. <laughs> no, well, not really. <laughs> Fucking hell, I thought, I thought you'd be over the moon. Everybody in Rome was over the moon. They were loving it, jumping in fountains and everything, and. Yeah, but if that's, if that's what I'm talking about. You know, is it like, is that the kind of team you want to be? Or is it, do you actually, like, with all the, you know, with all the talk and the, you know, the pedigree or whatever of the team, like, I'd expect them to be getting to the quarter final, semi finals of Champions League. And I'd be expecting them to win the fucking league once, you know, once that game would be, would be okay. But, like, I just think, you know, I wonder. 
about people. I'm just like, is this what? Is this all you want? Is this all that people need? Is a fucking one, you know, one game a year to go? <laughs> oh, look at us, you know. The end of December, January time. I was like, Di Francesco's a bit rubbish. I wasn't convinced at all. To be, to be honest, he's been all right since then. But then, then, then I, I kind of got a bit more respect for him when he decided he's like, just gonna go for it. Because I can't imagine like Spalletti or anybody else saying, right, let's go. Every, we're just gonna absolutely smash them. If we get smashed, who cares? We're gonna get, we're being smashed anyway. And then mm. <laughs> it was like, Christ, it worked. He said afterwards as well, he was like, yeah, I was a bit crazy to try that because we could have conceded a lot, but it was good to the work, so it's all good. Everybody's happy. I, I like him. I just, you know, it's a pretty underwhelming season. I mean, look at this, you know, look at the league, look at the... And I wonder, you know, this is the team that fucking sold fucking Mohamed Salah for 30 million quid and is still maintaining that they got a good deal. I mean, it's just like... I reckon, honestly, I think I think they'll get to the final. If you get to the final, you'll be happy then, right? There's you, no way they're beating Liverpool. You don't think so? No, and I'll be honest with you, man, I don't even I don't even feel like they deserve to, you know what I mean? There's no, like, you know, this is a team with fucking... You know Bruno Perez and Jesus in the defence. I mean, it's. Well, you mean Juan Jesus that marked Leo Messi out of the game? That Juan Jesus, <laughs> greatest defender in history. <laughs> Not many people can say that. Not many people can go. Yeah, I came up against you know Messi. No, easy, easy game. Not a problem. Right, guys. Now, obviously, after that amazing, fantasticness on Tuesday, uh, we got. Juventus going to the Stadio Bernabeu against Real Madrid, again having a three-goal deficit to try and overturn. And the bloody well did it. Again, <laughs> nobody expected this, but Podrig, an early goal, kicked it all off, and then Juventus just kind of went on from there. It was another brilliant night for Italian football, almost. Yeah, it was. And uh, there was not a part you almost felt so sorry for Roma after they got the third one, where you just thought... That is one of the biggest results Italian football could have got in, and one of the biggest results in Roma's history. And then the next night, because after they got the third goal, you think, you, they're going to do it here and they're going to go and they're going to knock out the holders and they're going to do it at the Bernabeu and they're going to qualify and bring an end to this big Real Madrid record because that was the only way I saw it going. I mean, like Real Madrid, just they weren't in the game at all and it was almost the same kind of thing as the night before where... Pretty much the Italian team got the early goal. I think the Spanish side underestimated them a bit. I think they were shell-shocked by that goal. They definitely missed Sergio Ramos. It just not even, I suppose he wouldn't have been the man to head those goals away. Like Carvajal was bullied twice by Mandzukic and Ramos probably wouldn't have been there. But just as a leader in the box and, and kind of to, to steady the ship a bit, they, they definitely missed him. But Juve just, oh, they, I thought they were incredible. They... And after they got the third one, as I said, I was sure after that they were they were going to go on and, and qualify because you didn't really see a way that Real, how they were going to turn it round. And it wasn't even, I suppose, a moment of magic that kind of won it for them, just a, a deep cross to the back post. And you do have to credit Ronaldo. I think that was an incredible leap and to, to knock it down for Vasquez to win the penalty. But just a, a real... Soccer punch, I think, for Juve, it was a real hard one for them to take because 
they had done so well and I think people probably gave them even less of a chance because of who they were playing and they had to go away from home and score three unanswered goals. Uh, I don't know, Dov, it was just it was after the excitement of the night before it was it was hard to almost digest at all, but um right, well, right, Vieri, hold on, right, Vieri, penalty or not penalty? I think it was a penalty. I think it was a penalty. Uh, sadly, because uh, uh, I do understand the frustration, but it, it, it's it's a penalty because I think even just the way he touches the back and tr- and it's so um, evident that even if the push isn't that big, it's you can't make that kind of mistake at that level. And the mistake obviously is not just a foul; it's leaving someone, a Real Madrid player, at the Bernabeu in the 93rd minute of a quarter final of a Champions League alone when you've done all that hard work beforehand i think that's that's where it's uh, where it's all born in in those cup those two seconds of mistakes um mm. inside the box in the final minutes and then I, for me it is a penalty then you can argue on how the the referee dealt with the following um well, 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 well let's, argue, let's argue about it then because i agree with you on the penalty and um, do you think he was right to send buffon off well, he's the only one that knows because we don't know what Buffon uh, told the referee. I, think... I don't think you even need to know what he said, though. I think from his actions alone, do you not think Buffon was probably no, no, much no. disgraced himself? I totally agree. I totally agree with you. I think even just the actions. But you know, if if, if there was uh, if there were some insults as well, then no doubt he should have well, been. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't ask him around Fritti's house for a cup of tea and some crumpets. Now, did it? He's clearly <laughs> no, exactly. Gone but, off exactly. His head. <laughs> You know what I mean? I think uh, it's almost irrelevant if, if it was uh, a red card or not, I think, uh, at, at that point. The damage but, had been done. Yeah, exactly. I think the penalty is obviously the, the, the really important decision there. Um, obviously, Oliver was in a bit of a confusion because he forgot to book uh, Benassian. That's quite a, a clear sign of the state of, of his mind there and then. But overall, if you just look at the decisions and not exactly... Uh, the man management, he did his job, I think. Mm. I would, this is one of the things I would like to see the, the, the referee's reports be published afterwards, because obviously after the games, the referee has to write a report. And, it, and in the report, they do explain why they give um, bookings and sending off and stuff like that. So I, I would like, I would like, both, like just so everybody kind of has clarification instead of like rampant speculation, which has kind of been going on for the last couple of days as to why before was sent off and uh, what he saw in terms of the foul as well. Um, yeah, but do you not think, Dov, that pretty much the only, as far as I'm concerned, the only reason people are kicking up such a fuss is because of the manner they did it. I think if that penalty had been awarded maybe in the third minute rather than the 93rd minute, maybe there's not so big a deal that Juve have just oh, they've lost a man in the box and he's crept away and Benati has been a bit clumsy. But I think it's just because of the because of the comeback and UV have done so well and they've dragged it back. Well, of to be course. fair, if I was Buffon, I'd probably be annoyed whether I thought it was a penalty or not. Just the emotions high and you've done all that hard work and you're just completely I totally, heartbroken. I agree with you, but that, that's be, that's nothing to do with the referee. You know, I understand. No, I know. Yeah, absolutely. But the referee's got to do what he's got to do. If it's the first minute or the final minute, if you're losing 5-0 or winning 3-0, it doesn't really matter. And I think... It's really bad what Buffon said after the game about talking about the referee having to be, uh, you know, sensible and uh, 
making the right decision because of uh, the personal story of uh, Buffon and the team. Exactly. Had- like, does a referee, should a referee take that into account every single decision he makes? Like, how well the team's played beforehand? Oh, who are it's it's, it's ridiculous. Exactly. It's ridiculous to even say that. That. Well, that seems to be one of the arguments almost, didn't it? That oh, Buffon's never won it before and show him a bit of... But that's, not, that, that's not how it works. Unfortunately <laughs> yeah, exactly. for him, that's not how the game works. And yeah. I think it was... Uh, a little bit disingenuous of him to kind of say that after the game, um, talking about like the kind of things like that, especially, which I, I tweeted out that in 2012, we remember after Muntari's ghost goal, and he said, I didn't see it, but even if I did, I wouldn't have told the referee. So it's kind of like one rule for when it's for him, but then another rule for when the decision goes against him, which people can it wasn't, think, think it of wasn't that. It wasn't ideal for, for him to, uh, you know, to say those kind of things. It is interesting to see the image of Buffon abroad as this immaculate legend, whereas in Italy, within the, the Italian borders, he's done things off the pitch um, and said things that aren't exactly ideal. Not saying, you know, everyone's perfect, it's absolutely fine. He's, he's been a lot better than a lot of footballers, but he's not as perfect and as an example as it comes across uh, or should come across, especially abroad. So I'm, I'm not totally surprised from what he said, um, I think it was just not a very nice way to, to say goodbye to a competition that he, he reached the final three times. He wasn't particularly lucky. Could have probably won it. He didn't. It's your final season. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's easy to, to talk now after not being in the heat of, of the moment. Yeah, we, we can only imagine how he was feeling then. Um, and to kind of finish off Juve, I, I managed to have a word with Adam Digby, a Italian football journalist and Juventus fan, about his thoughts on the game as well. So Adam, welcome to the show. Um, we're let's get straight into it, right? Because before we get on to the the stuff which everybody, I'm sure, wants to hear us talk about, Juventus Kievo. came. Well, obviously Kievo, yeah. I mean, this is the when Kievo get into the Champions League in a couple of years' time. They're just they're just in that transition period just now. Then we can we can do all the the Kievo and the semi-finals and Kievo comebacks and stuff like that. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, no, but. Obviously, Juve got beat 3-0 three, three away in Turin by Real Madrid. And, and, and everybody thought that was it, done and dusted. And then they went to the Bernabeu and destroyed Real Madrid. I mean, what do you think Allegri kind of got right and wrong between the two games? Um, I think in the first leg, it was... I think it was a combination of not having Medi Benatia because he's much quicker than Bartali or Chiellini. Um, I'm, I'm not one of these people who thinks that Batali and Chiellini are finished, but I think playing them together against Cristiano Ronaldo is that they're a little bit too slow. Um, mm. Benati has that extra pace, and I think when you compound that by having a, a two-man midfield in front of them, one of which is Sami Khedira, um, you're just making that worse. And I think they just got a little bit exposed uh, in Turin. Mm. And I think looking at the second leg, he clearly learned from that. He had Benati and Pjanic back from suspension, which obviously helped. Um, and then he started with Matuidi as well in a three-man midfield, and I think that kind of gave him a platform to to go on from and to build upon. Um, and I also think um, it was a, it was kind of a blessing in disguise to have Dybala suspended because I think he he tries a little bit too hard sometimes and he gets sucked a little bit too deep. And I think Manzukic and Douglas Costa didn't do that. They, I mean, Manzukic is like a robot, isn't he? You, you <laughs> tell him exactly what you want, and then he goes it and does, does it, exactly yeah. that. 
no more, no less. Um, it's like the Terminator in Terminator 2 is standing on one leg because Allegri told him to. Uh, <laughs> and, and Douglas Costa is a, a proper, experienced, um, obviously technically gifted footballer, but he's, he's, he, he knows what it takes at the highest level, doesn't he? He's played for, for Bayern Munich and he, he's gone into the latter stage of the Champions League before and he just has that little bit extra about him that I don't think Dybala's quite got yet. And I think Dybala also kind of slows the play down a little bit. Um, whereas with Costa, it flows faster. Yeah. And I think moving forward, that definitely helped Juve. Rather than playing through Dybala all the time, they, they kind of shared it around and Madrid didn't know where the next attack was coming from. And that, that clearly helped. And I also think having those players back and being able to play Alexandro as a fullback rather than Asamoa, mm. more of the same. It, it just made the whole thing faster. Yeah, uh, I think so. I think they were faster and stronger through the middle. Um, and I think those two things, and the fact that Real Madrid obviously had Sergio Ramos suspended, so they were able to bully them in the centre of defence. And then Mandzukic scores two headers. I think those two things are definitely related. Uh, and I think Madrid felt a little bit too comfortable because the cushion was so big. Um, and then. Juve have nothing to lose and it it was great to, for me to be honest more than anything it was great to see with that Juve just playing with a well fuck it what's the worst that can happen attitude because you look at the players that they've got and you wish they did that more often it was almost as like like after watching Roma the day before um, because Allegri's press conference kind of more or less said that it's going to be really really difficult we don't know if we can do it kind of thing and then after watching what Roma did it was, it was almost like any shackles that were there he just let them go and he's like right go for it go and see what yeah, happens yeah I, I definitely think that the the Roma game had a little bit of an effect on both teams because I think before Juve before the Real Madrid uh, before Roma Barca you're kind of like, well, you're not going to come back from three or three goals down against one of these two big teams. That, that's just a ridiculous idea. Mm. It's impossible. And then, well, it's not impossible. It, it literally happened yesterday. <laughs> and, and I think the same from a Real Madrid perspective. Well, we're not going to blow a 3-0 lead. Well, Barcelona did yesterday. It's like, I think, I think they had a little bit of nerves about them because they'd seen it happen the day before. And I think Juve had that little bit of positivity because they'd seen it happen the day before. And I think it, it, it really did weigh on both teams. Mm, and I think that early goal as well kind of amplified yeah, that for both sides yeah. as well. They're like, oh no, yeah. here we go. Right, but obviously it didn't go quite uh, like that on uh, Wednesdays. It did on Tuesday because there was a very late penalty. Now, I'd, well... I think it was a penalty. I want to get your opinion. What, what did you think? I think I didn't want it to be a penalty. I think I think that my reaction to it is, is to be honest, is exactly the same as Buffon's. Like it's outrageous. How can you give that penalty? Look, we've tried so hard. It's nearly extra time. Blah blah blah. <laughs> but when you when you actually sit and watch it, and Lucas Vasquez is about to have a clear shot on goal, and then Medi Benatia tackles him from behind. And he doesn't get his shot away. And I think that has to be a penalty. Like, yes, Benatia gets the ball, but he does so by hooking his leg around from behind. The laws of the game, you can, you're not allowed to tackle from behind. It's not You're not allowed to tackle from behind unless you get the ball cleanly. And it's the last minute of a Champions League semi-final and it's Gigi Buffon's last Champions League game. <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. The rule is you can't tackle from behind. So I think it has to be a penalty, doesn't it? I, I don't want it to be. I take no pleasure in the fact that it is... But it kind of is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it was kind of obviously the circumstances, like you say, made 
it made everybody go crazy, particularly Juventus players, and obviously Buffon then got sent off, which you don't really want to see. I think that was a bit disingenuous. I don't think he deserved to be sent off. Maybe a wee yellow card and a telling off would have been fine. But um, then after the game, it went it went crazy. On I think it was on media set where I, where I watched it, and he just well basically went off on one at the referee and, and obviously the line that everybody's got is he, he to do something like that he's obviously got a, a rubbish bin for a heart I mean what did you think when you were listening to the likes of Buffon and Chiellini I think said it was a, a, a robbery um, what, what, what were your kind of thoughts in the post-match? I think my, my first thought was that even being that angry I think that you have to hats off to Gigi Buffon for offering the referee a, a, a range of drinks because <laughs> Even though there's been some pretty poor translations of it, what he actually said was, if you don't have the stomach for a match like that, you should sit in the stand eating chips mm. and drinking a Sprite, a Coca-Cola or an orange juice. Exactly. And he actually said orange juice in English, which is quite yeah. bizarre. But <laughs> he offered him a range of drinks, which I think is, shows just kind of how considerate Gigi Buffon can be. <laughs> um, but aside from that, um, I think to kind of let everybody in behind the curtain of... Dov and I just spent 10 minutes talking about the way that Juve run behind the scenes. And I think when you see Buffon and Chiellini and Douglas Costa and Pjanic and Andrea Agnelli all give interviews where they say pretty much exactly the same thing, mm. perhaps some of them didn't list the drinks menu, <laughs> um, it, it, it kind of hints that there's been a discussion about what we're allowed to say and not allowed to say. Mm. And I think I think Buffon obviously set the precedent by launching into his tirade as he did um, but I think after that there's very clearly a, a calculated and agreed upon set of things that were allowed to say after the match because Juventus players by and large especially Chiellini and Buffon are very careful in how they choose their words in interviews mm. and if you notice whenever Juve lose a game um, it's always Chiellini and Buffon who come out and speak mm. and nobody else yeah. and the fact that they came out and were so harsh towards the officials um, and towards UEFA and to Pierluigi Colina, who's the referee's designator and for UEFA. I think that that tells me that that's been discussed behind closed doors and then they've gone out and delivered that message. As soon as you hear it, you think, everyone's just going to talk about Calciopoli now and <laughs> how can how do you have the teremity to, to discuss people cheating with referees and... Yeah, you, you've got a point, you know, like it, it does smack of a, a double standard and you see Juve get favourable decisions. And I think the, the one thing for me that I have to take away from it is as a Juve fans, you, you sit there and you listen to to way that Roma complain about not winning the league or you listen to a Maurizio Sarri interview and it, it's all sour grapes. But then mm. you, you, you listen to, to certain sections of Juve supporters and it's, well, we would have won in 2003 if Nedved wasn't suspended. And, oh, you would have won in 1998, was it, with Ronaldo? Yeah, Mijatovic was offside mm. for Real Madrid for the goal. And mm. oh, uh, Juve went out drinking before they played Dortmund in the two, in the 97 final. And, <clears throat> oh, we would have won in Cardiff if it wasn't for this. And uh, we were a penalty decision away. And it's you're starting to sound like Roma and Napoli fans. And <laughs> nobody wants that. And I think... It just shows that there's still a, a gap to, to between Juve and the, the very best teams. I think, mm. yes, 
Juve at times, they beat Barcelona 3-0, they, they came close to beating Bayern Munich, they beat Real Madrid on Wednesday night and they, they gave a fantastic performance and showed just what they are capable of. But I think when it ultimately comes down to it, in the biggest moments, Juve have come up short. So so what then so what then do they need to do in the summer? Because Buffon will pretty much look like looks like he's gonna retire. Chiellini yep. and Marzagli are gonna be another year older. Um there's question marks over Dybala, Mandzukic. I mean obviously Lichsteiner you've got as well. And I saw more. So it's like there's a lot of players in that team that will be gone or look very much like they will be gone. Yeah. Does this mean we're going to get kind of a massive spend from UV? What about Allegri as well? There's question marks over him. I mean, what, what on earth is going to happen in the summer? I think Allegri and the club have both said that he'll be still around next year. So I think maybe we've got one more year with Allegri, um, probably depending on how the season ends. Um, for me, there's no need for a, a massive revolution of the squad. I think you look at it, it's very easy, especially after the first leg, to say, Oh, Batsali and Chiellini are old. Blah, blah, blah. But three days before that first leg, Batsali chased Suso 30 yards down the pitch and executed a perfectly timed tackle. Um, and he, he can still do that. I think in spots, he can still be useful. I think he's. Yeah, obviously he's old, but he, he's still got it. I think the difficulty is when you play him alongside Chiellini in a game against one of the very best teams, they're going to get undone for a lack of pace. I think they would have got undone for that same lack of pace three, four years ago. I don't think that's anything new. Um, but you look around and I think that the squad, yeah, maybe you'll lose Dybala, but you've got Bernadeschi already there. You've got Marco Piazza to come back in. I think that maybe there's an argument to make for a, a better quality backup for Higuain in attack. But I think even if Dybala left, I don't think you've got a problem in attack. I think you look at the defence, you've already got Benati there. I think obviously now the first choice is Benati or Chiellini. You've got Matteo Caldara coming in, who's got the, who's not only, he's a little bit older than Rugani, he's had the Europa League experience with Atalanta, um, which includes playing fantastically well at Borussia Dortmund away, at Everton away, at Lyon away. I think he's clearly ready to, to come in and, and show what he can do. You've got Spinazzola coming at left-back. So I think one of the biggest problems with the left-back thing is with Sandro and Asamoah. I think the club are caught between two stools, really. They know they've got Spinazzola coming back from Atalanta on loan. And I think they're trying to work out what's happening with Sandro. And if Sandro leaves, I think then they'd probably offer Asamoah a new contract. But if, Asamoah, if uh, Alexandro says he'll stay and you've got Spinazzola, then... Asamo was just a waste, isn't it? You know, you, you, mm. there's no point tying him down to a long-term contract when he can walk away for nothing and you can kind of reward his service by letting him go wherever he wants. Mm. I, I think that that's kind of a in limbo situation there. I think you've got the same at right back where you need to kind of figure out is De Chilio the starter? Is De Chilio the backup? Does that mean you can get rid of Licksteiner? Then do you need to sign a starter or a, a backup to him? And, and obviously, Chesney is already there to replace Buffon. I think it, m nobody might want to admit it out loud, but I think Chesney's probably been better than Buffon this season. Um, I, would, I, I would agree, definitely. And I think he was better than him last season too. I think he was the best keeper in Serie A last season. Mm. Um, and, uh, and now I think Chesney's probably behind only Alisson for being the best keeper in Serie A this season. I, maybe you can argue a case for uh, Marco Sportiello, who's been incredible for Fiorentina, but... I think outside of those two, you, you're struggling to name a goalkeeper who's been better than Chesney when Chesney's played. Mm. Um, for me, it all comes back to central midfield. And I think the club seem fully aware of that. They, they've tried to sign Axel Witzel before they even lost um, Pogba. 
Um, they tried to sign Blaise Matuidi a year before they actually signed him, but PSG wanted too much money, so they waited rather than spending a, a big fee. And I think you look at the, the first leg, you look at the games against Barcelona in the group stage, you look at the game in Cardiff last year, and I think all of Juve's problems, for me, stem from a, a, a lack of quality in midfield. I think if you, were, if you were looking at Barcelona or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich, how many of Juve's midfielders would actually start matches for those teams? I think outside of Pjanic, mm. maybe you can make a case for Matuidi, but I think you're struggling. Um, I think Pjanic is the only one who's of that standard. Um, and I like Matuidi. I think he has a lot to offer, but I think if you were talking about Matuidi and Bentancur as the fourth and fifth choice rather than second and fifth choice, then uh, uh, then I think you're talking about a team who are ready to, to finally end that long wait that we discussed earlier. And I think for me, you look at the fact that you've got Moises Keane, Caldara, Spinazzola, Piazza, all ready to come back from loan. You've already got Chesney. You've already got options everywhere else around the pitch. I think, and and obviously, you get to the quarterfinals of Champions League, you, you're winning the league and the cup all the time. You're telling everybody that you're in a good financial position because of the new stadium that nobody else in Italy has and the sponsorship deals and the, everything that goes with that that nobody else has. I think it's time, really, that, that, that Juve as they've done in the past two summers, spent heavily. But in, obviously in those two summers, it's mitigated by the fact they've lost big players. You look at spending £90 million on Higuain and £32 million on Pjanic, and you look at spending big on um, Bernadeschi and Douglas Costa, you've obviously got the money. And for me, you look at the squad, you look at the team, and, and you need to just go on and spend that in midfield. And for me, it... I think all things considered, I, I would be going to Rome, sitting down with Claudio Latito and saying, what will it take for us to sign Milinkovic-Savic? Ronaldo and Messi aren't going to last forever. Eventually, they're going to start declining. And and that, and then you have to be ready for that. And for me, Juve are right there banging on the door. And it, it, to me, it makes no sense financially not to go and spend the money, which sounds counterproductive, but they're right there. And, and why bother... Why bother running 26 miles? Because a marathon's 26.4. Finish it. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Honestly, Adam, that is, there, there's the line there. If you're going to run a marathon, run 26.4, not 26 it, miles. Finish it. Like, that's where, that's where you've got. And, and please, like, I, I've written an article about it this week. I've made comments on Twitter and Facebook. And all I get is, Juve were right, really close, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they are really close. They, they are a fantastic, fantastic team. They, they have everything it takes to win except that one missing piece and yes the missing piece for Real Madrid and Barcelona has been having Messi or Ronaldo Juve don't have that they're never going to have that but as a collective with a quality squad and a, a fantastic coach they've proven that they can surpass those teams but to be able to do that consistently you, you need to retool and go again and, and that's where Juve are and it, to say that they're not part of the elite is not to say that they're rubbish it, it's to say that they're not quite there yet and they're super close and as 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 fans of Syria as much as being a fan of Juve obviously nobody else in Syria wants to see Juve win the Champions League I, I don't want to see Roma win it but it, <laughs> as a, I, I a, tweeted that yesterday and nobody believed me <laughs> from a from a professional point of view yeah it'd be great to see Roma get to the final because you can get paid to write articles about Rome being in the Champions League final. I don't want to get paid to write about Roma winning the Champions League. It <laughs> caused me actual pain. 
Right, and the kind of last couple of things we've got to discuss. Podrick, uh, a game you watched on Thursday evening, Lazio versus or Salzburg versus Lazio. This looked like a, an easy one for Lazio. They won the first leg 4-2. They, they got the first goal in Austria, and then all hell broke loose. Oh, tough. Just when I'd recovered from the two nights before. Unbelievable. <laughs> that, uh, do you know what? That's probably the, the, the biggest shock and collapse, I think, or comeback, if you want to credit Salzburg, which I don't really want. I rather <laughs> would rather have seen Lazio go through and have two Roman teams in the semi-finals. But like, once Immobile scores the goal with, I think there's 35 minutes of the tie left to play, that really should have been it dead and buried because over the course of of the, I suppose, the game and a half uh, up to that point, Lazio had been the be- the better team overall. I think they, they were happy enough to let Salzburg have the ball in the first half because they, they just didn't trouble them. They, there was no danger, and then Immobile scores the oh, just a terrific finish, and and you think that's that, but oh, just it just I think they were kind of unlucky as well. Lazio, there was a few of those goals that that went in against them, like big deflections. Two of them in particular, the, the first and the, the third, were kind of unlucky first to the caution. They, they just got away from them and they had a big deflection. So there was a bit of... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Unluckiness for Lazio, but at the same time, that, that just shouldn't happen. You shouldn't be throwing away that lead. And after they uh, after they got the first one to, to bring it back to two all, with just under twenty minutes to go, they, they just seemed to lose their heads. They they couldn't find each other with passes. They were panicking in possession, and they were given a, a Salzburg team who, to be honest, that they're, they're nothing particularly special. And Lazio, they'll be kicking themselves because I think they know themselves. They are a better team than that. They just, they just panicked it and gave them the game when it was it really was theirs for the taking. It was just another incredible evening for an Italian team in uh, Europe. It kind of went from bad towards me. A great comeback, just missed it out to absolute collapse. Yeah, Gary. yeah. Not <laughs> um, all. What 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 can Lazio take anything out of this, Vieri? I mean, is it something obviously they can learn from? Is it just a, a kind of blip that 
it's never going to happen again so don't worry about it is it uh, well it's it's a learning curve and i think what they learn it's two things never underestimate anyone in europe salzburg do you know any of the players i don't Huang, because nope. he scored. I remember him. <laughs> well, we know, we know them now. But you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, we still don't know them. <laughs> but the they, but they had knocked out uh, Borussia Dortmund the previous round, and uh, you need to even because even in the first leg, Lazio suffered a lot more than what we expected. So maybe these guys weren't really that bad. Um, and the other thing I think coming well. It's, it's, a, it's the same kind of argument is you just don't substitute Milinkovic Savic when uh, because there's obviously he did it because there's a derby on Sunday when the, the, the tie isn't over yet because you don't have a second chance in Europe. Obviously, things went extremely wrong for Lazio. They were very unfortunate, but just don't take him off. Keep him. You need to make sure you need to be 100 percent sure that it's over because once you're out, you're out. And when's the next time that Lazio will be half an hour away from a, a, a European semi-final? Could be, could be seasons, you know. So I think you need to take that into consideration. Um, it might be a paradox, but that game on Thursday night was more important than the derby because if you're in a Europa League semi-final, you, you've done, you know, absolutely great. I think for me, in terms of the chance of winning a trophy, and then you'd obviously go to the Champions League anyway if you do win the Europa League. And then, obviously, Luis Alberto, I think, needed to bury that chance a minute before um, <laughs> shit hit the fan afterwards with Salzburg obviously killing it. But he had, he had that amazing chance on the counter. And you, again, it's, you can't afford to miss those chances in, in those games. You need to, be, you need to get on, on goal and shoot properly. And that didn't happen. Well, there we go. Right. So uh, the dust has settled. After, after the week's games, we had the draw on Friday morning for the Champions League semi-final. Roma against Liverpool, Podrick. And Liverpool, who are scoring goals for fun, they've got Salah and Mane and Bobby Firmino, but no more Coutinho. <laughs> <laughs> How, what do you think? Uh, my, my, my opinion on it is that after what Roma did against Barcelona, they should feel confident about beating anybody. Um, whereas, uh, like... I think like Colin, Colin uh, insinuated that he doesn't think they've got a hope in hell against Liverpool. Well, I think first of all we need to come up with a good little ditty for Roma's attack. Like mm. we've got Jekyll, no, 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 no. But I'll leave that to. <laughs> well, if you, you can tweet us in with uh, suggestions for a catchy one for Roma. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm quite happy with that tie. The, the way it's panned out, I think. Um, I'd have been more confident with Roma against Liverpool than than Bayern or or Real Madrid, especially Real Madrid. They're just like even when they're not playing well, like we've seen against Juve, they just they just seem to find a way. So that that's probably not the kind of team you want to be coming up against. So by hook or by crook, they'll kind of find a way past you. So I think Liverpool's decent enough. Obviously, you've got the the Salah angle, and it, it might be oversimplifying it a bit, but. I think maybe if there's any team that knows him best and knows his strengths and well, obviously his strengths, but his weaknesses as well, then it's going to be Roma. They'll uh, they'll probably have a plan in place to to deal with him and know maybe how to to stop him. But as you said, they've got the other the other two who are equally dangerous. So I think it's just going to be a really exciting tie. I think both teams probably well, not probably they are much better going forward than they are at the back. So hopefully we're in for some excitement because these 
I don't know what it is about the Champions League, but these late knockout round ties, they always seem to produce a lot of goals when you're kind of expecting cagey kind of affairs. And I, I don't know I if my heart have... can take any more exciting nights. <laughs> the Chani are boring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we might have used up our, our quota. <laughs> but uh, I think the second leg's back in Rome as well, so that, that, could be, that could be quite a big thing if they can pick up a, any kind of maybe decent result, maybe a score draw or something like that in Anfield and and bring it back because I think Liverpool are going to be nervous as well as nervous as Roma are. Obviously, they've never been here since they Liverpool beat them in the final the mid eighties. So, oh, no, they have. Liverpool, they've got they've beat the final against Milan twice. No, no, Roma, Roma, or Roma. I mean, I think you've been this far, but then, yeah, yeah. So I, I think we can all remember uh, Liverpool in the final. Yeah, but I think it's been like I think it's almost a decade since they've kind of been this far themselves. And it's kind of a new group of players and all that kind of thing. So I think the two teams, neither one of them are kind of accustomed to being at this stage of the tournament so I'm happy or not that it's kind of panned out that way and uh, I think Roma are going to do it though I'll put my oh here we go Poddy has put his neck on the line he is not on the the fence (laughs) (laughs) right very right go on say something and stop singing that song I think at this point any team is great it's different in the Europa League where there's still teams that are a lot better than, than the others but at, at this stage in the Champions League, it doesn't really matter who you pick. And uh, it'll be fun for, for Roma. I think that's what it should be for, for, for probably the worst team out of the, out of the lot. And um, one thing I, that has to be said is when you, when you destroy the best club of the past decade, you can literally do anything. I, I think that's, that's the approach the, psychologically that Roma should have from now until, until the end of the season. It, what they did against Barcelona, I think, is immense, um, and um, they should you know, replicate that against Liverpool, or at least try to. Then, of course, it can go well, it can go <laughs> badly, but they've they've got everything to to go all the way. There, Sorry, there Doc, just one last thing as well. That does it not just break your heart? Just to add in that the as soon as Totti leaves them, that they go and do that. Is, <laughs> is that not just heartbreaking? He must be kicking himself. We oh, could do a whole podcast just on that because maybe <laughs> maybe Spalletti was right about how you know heavy the the shadow of Totti was on the changing oh, room. Oh, I've opened a can of worms. Oh, no, no. I'm, that's what I'm saying. You you have because look look what's going on this season. I mean, oh, so something I think we'd actually said on podcasts before that. Maybe Totti was too much, but all right, that's another podcast, like you said. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're not going to get post. into it. As much as we'd like to, we're not going to get into it. Um, it would be funny, though, if they won the Champions League in the first season he leaves. That would, I would, I would that, that's him as a director. That's that's the effect he has now as a director. Uh, you just, see. Instead, yeah. instead of leaving his shadow in the whole changing room, it's the whole club making his <laughs> Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We, actually, he's amazing as a director. He's a lot better as a director than he was as a, as a player. <laughs> there you go. Do you agree with Vieri? Is Totti a better director than a player? Let him know. Um, right, guys. <laughs> that, that is us, us done for a short midweek, well, end of the week podcast. Remember and catch Conor Clancy and the rest of the, the crew on Sunday night on YouTube for the live uh, recording of the pod there. And then you can get the podcast on iTunes and all the other places on Monday morning. Um, thank you, Podrick. Thank you, Vieri. A pleasure as always. Uh, and there's nothing else left for me to say apart from Arrivederci. scambio con Edin Dzeko dietro il pallone adesso fa girare palla Fazio Manolas quindi De Rossi 
calcio lungo di De Rossi, palla lunga verso di Giacchi, era di rigore, Giacchi tira, go, 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 go. gioco Roma in vantaggio per una rete a zero il lancio splendido di René De Rossi per Edin Dzeko che accaccia il pallone di destro e poi di sinistro batte il portiere Ter Stegen Attenzione, mamma mia, guardate lì, parte De Rossi, tiro gol, è il gol del raddoppio 2 0, 2 0 a mezza altezza Danielino, a mezza altezza Danielino, a mezza altezza Danielino gliel'hai messa 2 0. Nuda come la bellezza grande come Roma, santa e dissoluta Roma, ma non perdona, Roma devi ora come in barra cuda Roma. il cross ecco 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 Manolas 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 di testa Manolas di testa Manolas di testa mamma mia mamma mia mamma mia Mamma mia! Impazziti qui! Impazziti 3 a 0, impazziti! Mamma mia! Mamma mia! Il gol di Manolazzo di testa! La palla in diagonale alle spalle di Terstegen, 3 a 0 per la Roma! Al 37 minuto! Il gol di Manolazzo! deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 